Hello, and welcome back to Lost in Citations, our regular podcast where we speak to the producers of interesting content and see if we can learn a little bit more about their background. Joining us today, or should I say rejoining us today, is one of the legends of our podcast, Todd Bukins. Nice to talk to you. And with an introduction like that, I have to come back more. Wow, my, my head is getting really inflated here. So thank you, Chris. Well, can I say that your first interview, uh, which I'm looking at right now, was interview number eight, uh, has our highest number of downloads at 7,009. So inviting you back, it seems like something that we should have, we should have done uh, a long time ago. The last time we spoke, we talked about your website, lo.org. But what we're going to talk about today is your website, meals.org, which is not related to language learning, but language teaching. So yeah. the first question I'd like to ask, just to start us off, is how did you decide that this was something that was necessary in your field? Um. Yeah, that's a great question. It's kind of like when you know how to do something and it's really easy to do and you see other people that are not doing it. Like, for example, they don't know how to fix that blinking light on the VCR and you're like, hey, 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 it's, it takes two seconds. Can I show you how to do it? Uh, that was kind of the, you know, the motivation for meals. Um, so I love instructional design. That's what I got my master's degree in. That's kind of my academic interest, so to speak, that and listening, of course. And so it just kind of bothered me that a lot of teachers do things traditionally and they don't realize that they have a Ferrari parked in the garage. They don't even know they have a Ferrari that they could take out for a spin. And that's basically the, you know, the technological advances that we've had over the last 10, 15 years. And they just keep improving and improving. So the whole object of meals is just to help teachers become aware of what's out there and what they can do. And also in this case, what I would love to talk about on your show is how it can help academic researchers, because I think especially there's a lot of researchers out there um, that don't realize how they can basically give their research life or legs and kind of breathe interest into what they're doing. Well, can I just pick up on something you said there, which is, you know, that it's easy to do or that people have uh, an understanding that is traditionally based your approach on this, what do you think that people who are approaching this from a traditional aspect are missing when it comes to this kind of language teaching or use of online material? I, I mean, basically, they're leaving money on the table. You know, I, I don't really know how to say it than that. I mean, well, first of all, if you're doing research, you know, there are really only two reasons why a person is probably doing research. One of them would be academic inquiry. And the other one would be maybe career enhancement. But there are ways that you could help both and really at, at no cost using free tools uh, with minimal effort, actually. And so, you know, if you don't use these tools, I'm, you know, that's that's always up to the, the person. I understand if somebody wants to go solely traditional, but in almost every case, every case, where I've showed somebody a tool and how they can use it, they get that aha moment or that wow moment or wow, where have you been on my life moment where they realize I can do that that easily. And you're like, yeah, yeah, it's that easy um, these days. Speaking of aha moments, I think it was probably about, and we've known each other for a fair while now. So probably about 15 years ago when you were working at APU and I was building courses online and you literally walked into the room when I had an aha moment when I worked out how to use Dreamweaver. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, this is how you do the code. This mm -hmm. is how you fix that point of the code so that this page fits over what we were using at the time. We weren't using Moodle. We were using some like other WebCT, Web something like that. Yeah. You just need to show them how it helps them. And then they make the choice. So be before we get into some of the applications that we can recommend to our listeners to help them with their work. How about we talk about this idea of career enhancement? And how do you think that understanding these applications and how they fit in the modern world have or could assist uh, teachers in enhancing their careers? 
Um, well, God, there's so many ways. I mean, my, my career trajectory is, is just proof. Um, as you know, I, I haven't taken the traditional approach. I started doing research years ago, and then I got some feedback uh, internationally because I was posting publicly online, and that completely changed my career. And pretty much every job I've been offered, every anything I've been offered, uh, people have approached me. Uh, I'm a very lazy person. I'm just not motivated that way. But I, you know, published for major publishers. I've been asked to speak at international conferences. I've been offered numerous university jobs. Um, you know, been given speaking engagements, things like that. And I never sought it out by myself. Like it all came to me. And the only reason it came to me was because I had a public presence. So people saw the work that I was doing. That I was very passionate about it. And so I was able to, to get help. And actually the perfect example is um, Dr. Rob Waring, who was, who I interviewed, you know, I was in the bowels of academia. I didn't even do any publishing or anything. And then I didn't know he was this big name and he found me and he emailed me and he said, Hey, would you like to meet for a beer? I'm like, sure. I have no idea who this person is. He's just some professor. Then when I told my colleagues, they were like, do you know who that is? he's huge. He's like really big in our field. And I'm like, oh, I have no idea. And then he met and he's such a wonderful person, but he took interest in what I was doing because what I was doing was, wasn't really for career enhancement. It was for academic inquiry. I was really passionate at that time. I still am about like using listening in different ways uh, to learn languages. And so he reached out to me and then we had a beer and then he basically took me under his wing. And that's how I got the, all the offers for you know, the international conferences and things like that. And so since he introduced himself to me, uh, I probably presented in, I don't know, 14, 15 countries. So yeah, and before that, I didn't present at all. So that was like, you know, perfect example of how just having a public persona out there can really help you. You've just said something that I want to pick up on. I mean, you, you say that you're a lazy person, and I've never seen that in you uh, as long as I've known you. How much do you think that you would recommend, let's say, for example, someone who's starting their career right now in EFL, ESL, how important is it for them to have these different vectors for approaching their career, do you think? You know, that's... That's, uh, that's interesting uh, how you worded that, uh, the vectors. You know, to be honest, I only really know one vector and that's the, you know, the one that I, I do is like the public presence. Um, I actually have gone to you many times uh, and for help with the other vectors, like how, you know, that the, say the academic journals or uh, the, the university side of things. But um, on my side, what I do in terms of just being out there publicly, you know, the other day I was listening to a podcast and I heard a great quote, a guy said, opportunity comes from a public presence. And that pretty much just summarizes what I just said, you know, a few, a few seconds ago. So if you really want to enhance your career, first of all, you have to be found. And the easiest way to be found is to have a public presence. And in terms of how much you should do, honestly, these days, it's so easy, five, five minutes, five minutes a day. And in five minutes a day, you can really transform what you're doing. And I think a lot of people, might take this the wrong way and assume that I'm saying they should become the social media guy and be, be posting, posting, posting. Not at all. Actually, we have the tools now that we can go old school. You know, back in the day, in terms of academic inquiry, uh, people would be lonely to share what they were doing. And so they would write letters to each other, you know, you know, famous cases like Edison to Tesla and stuff. Like they couldn't talk to the wife and kids about it, you know, and they were dying for somebody to see what they were doing or just to share their thoughts or run ideas by people. And so you can do something as simple as, um, you know, recording on your phone, your ideas, and then having those transcribed automatically. You don't even have to do it yourself. And then posting them on a free site like Blogger. You know, the, there's a famous uh, line from the movie, Glenn, Gary Glenn Ross, I guess, ABC, right? Always be closing. And so for researchers and academics, I recommend always be communicating and always be sharing what you're doing. And oddly enough, the tools I'm going to recommend today are the ABCs, the basics, and they're all free and they're all extremely powerful, amazingly powerful. 
and how you can just do them, use it five minutes a day and it could transform your work. And we are absolutely going to get to those, uh, those tools. But I, I just want to, before we get there, I would just like to ask you one final question as it relates to your motivation, you know, connected to meals in relation to Elo. So Elo.org is a vast catalog of interviews from people uh, from using English, but from various countries and uh, yeah. and using things in, in categories and was and has been used and is being used in universities as, as, a, as a vast repository of English use. Meals was from kind of the other direction to assist teachers in how they could possibly use not even only online materials, but also approach their career from a different aspect. How would you like to think of people who come to Meals as language teachers to approach the materials that you provide them? Um, oh, that's that's a really nice setup. Thanks for that. Uh, I would say I would like to help teachers become optimal. You know, when when people come to my website, Ello, they think that I'm actually the listening guy, and they'll go like, "Oh, you're 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 the listening guy." I'm like, well, actually, I'm not. I'm the pedagogy guy. I'm the task design guy. So what I'm, I've always been obsessed with as a teacher is task design. And what is the best way to efficiently do genuine information transfer or, or knowledge transfer? And so Meals was a way for me to try things out and share what I'm doing, uh, kind of kick the tires and just let other teachers know what tools are out there, but also to train people share what I what I know so that they can do it more efficiently. Um, I, I think we've talked about this a little bit over uh, some chats about how I'm obsessed with uh, the difference between thorough and optimal. And I think there's a big divide in education. And I'm kind of trying to get people on my side. I think everything that we do in education is thorough based. It's not optimal based. And by the difference, what I mean is when something's thorough, it's very integrated. It's very intense. It's academic. It's, you know, rigor. Um, and, you know, a lot of thought was put into this plan of study. And what happens is too much is packed into the bag. And it's just too much for people to consume. Whereas optimal is the opposite. Rather than having this, you know, uh, academic rigor that students or, or even academics have to slog through, you would do the opposite. You would think, what's the most efficient way to reach a result with the, with the minimum effort, which is kind of an antithesis of what education has become. We don't wanna see things as like minimum effort. Minimum effort has a negative connotation, but actually, you know, when you look at it in terms of um, efficacy, that's what you want. You want minimal effort. You wanna be able to do it in the easiest way possible. You know, from like you know, in the United States, the IRS to the military to corporate training, they take that approach because at the end of the day, they need the outcome. They need the result. They need you to fill out your tax form. They need you to know how to assemble a rifle or, or do whatever. So they take the optimal approach. But in education, we kind of have switched towards the thorough approach. And my theory, you know, this is just a theory, um, is that it's based on pretty much college admissions. So we had, for years, we had select amount of seats at university. So you had to filter people out. Well, how do you filter people out? You make, the, you make it rigorous, this academic obstacle course, and only the best survive. You know, it's like academic survivor, really, when you think about it. And so um, we've kind of sometimes, I think, lost our way. And so meals is a way to approach it from the other angle and say, no, 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 we just want people to learn. And maybe we wanna look at things optimally. Like what is the minimal amount of exercises they can do to get it? What is the minimal amount of time they would need to use to be successful? So that's kind of the approach. So going back to the point that you made about uh, being the pedagogy guy and the difference between being thorough and being optimal, how much of any lesson that you plan do you, you know, plan down to the very minute that it has to happen? Or how much do you allow it to organically expand within 
you know the realms that uh, are available to you uh yeah i don't do any planning and um i am pretty much all reactionary i've always wanted to write a paper why winging it works and there's actually a lot of scientific reasons why when you wing it when you wing a lesson it's better every teacher's had this right you you go and you teach a lesson and you have to wing it you're unprepared and it's the best lesson ever and you're like wait wow that's so cool i wasn't prepared and then every teacher's had the opposite where they've had a very detailed plan they go in there and it just flops and the reason why it it works so well when you wing it is because you are reacting it's just in time delivery so you are you're continually assessing the students needs in real time and you're continually making the right real-time adjustments like a pilot or a race car driver or you know numerous other pro pro professions so you're not stuck i mean imagine if a, a plane took off and it has a flight plan but it sticks to that flight plan like it never changes anything based on any atmospheric conditions well that plane would run into some problems probably and so, you know, that's kind of how I take teaching. Now you have to have the skill set built up or you have just this library that you can, you can draw on, uh, which is where tech comes in now because tech allows us to always have this library that we can access. But, you know, as you know, I am very, very, very passionate about teaching. I will be an English teacher for life. When people ask me what I do, I never say that I have my businesses or anything else. I say I'm an English teacher. And so I love teaching. So I don't want people to think that, I'm, you know, I'm not, I don't take it seriously. I take it very seriously, but I've just found that over the years, the less planning results in the better lessons. What's more important is to have absolute mastery of this, the content and, uh, and the outcome. So you know exactly what the students want to do. And so you're willing to make adjustments to get them there. And if you think about this, I've always, I didn't realize this until recently, uh, about a year ago, the similarity between a salesman and a teacher. We are the exact same field. We are trying to convince people to do something. And we kind of put teaching in this lofty, you know, level, these lofty airs. And we're like, oh, salesmen are so cheesy. And you know, a teacher is like a proud person. But basically, you're doing the same thing. You're trying to convince people and to do something, to buy into what your, your academic ideas are or whatever. And if you think about it, a salesman is always adjusting. They're always adjusting. They're waiting to see how you look, your body language, what you've said. So your lessons can be the same way. I go into class, oh, two students are absent today. Those two students are kind of shy. Oh, I can do a more outgoing activity because they're not here today. And the other students are very outgoing. So maybe I'm gonna make an adjustment on the fly and do something. Well, if, if, if I can just cut in on that point, I, I think that's something that we've lost over the last couple of years where lessons have gone online, that eye contact is very, very important. It's something that I spoke about with Robert Murphy about oftentimes you don't get that feedback in the lesson. Yeah. So you don't know whether anything's connecting, whether everything's hitting. I, I do like the, uh, the idea of the, the teacher as the salesperson absent the actual economic benefit. Of course, you're getting paid for being a teacher, but you don't, you don't, there's no sale at the end of it. At the end of it, it's just emotional. It's moral. It's these people walk away feeling better about the subject that they've chosen to study rather than they bought a car from me or they have a nice new watch and I get some benefit from that. Can That's I give you a quick example of like how, how you would be sure. a salesman and how it affects? So uh, just to put it in an academic perspective so people don't get the wrong idea. So today, actually, my students had to submit their first draft for their papers, and this is at university, and it's an academic paper. It's an upper intermediate course, so it's very high level. And I was really happy. They, they all did exactly what they were supposed to do. They had their thesis statements the right way, their topic sentences, their supporting ideas. They cited their sources of research correctly. Everything was done, and it was really, it was done how I wanted it. But along the process, I was just trying to convince them how to do it rather than tell them how to do it. I was trying to convince them how to do it. And so I was, you know, that's where the salesman comes in. Mm. Like, oh, you know what? You'll get a higher score if you write it this way. Or like, oh, you know what? I don't know if that's actually factual. You might want to check that because if you do that, your score is probably going to go down. 
type of thing. And so this constant like batter and communication back and forth, that's what I mean by a teacher is kind of like a salesman and that you're really trying to persuade somebody to do something that originally on their own, maybe they didn't want to do. So let's get into it and let's approach it from the salesman aspect. Now, none of the things that Todd is about to tell you about, none of the apps or none of the programs that Todd is about to tell you about, is he going to get any economic benefit from? Zero. Zero. And I don't want any, yeah. And the reason why we set this up through this uh, interview and talking about English language teaching is that both of us are very much grounded in English language teaching. We would prefer that our students leave our classrooms better than when they came into the classroom. So, definitely, Todd, the, the theme that we spoke about for today's interview was using online learning to assist students' language learning. Which application would you like to introduce first? Uh, well, in terms of learning language, um, again, I always recommend just the ABCs. Um, I always say because they just go in order. I have a, a presentation I have to do. I often do is called um, A to Z of free. So first we start with the audio. You know, audio is the spoken component and, um, you know, audacity. I, I would reckon, I would guess you're using audacity to record this podcast. That's correct. It. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes, that's correct. So Audacity is probably, I would say, the world's best free software. I mean, it's it's through the people that created Audacity. Hats off, man. It's just an amazing tool. So you can, you know, bring the spoken word to anything. And what I like to always say, and even in academia, which I would like to kind of use for the, to promote people's research, is that, you know, we've only been writing and reading on a mass scale for only about 200 years. And so, you know, for years... The art of persuasion, so to speak, has been the spoken word. And so you can bring your voice to anything. And that's the great thing about Audacity. And there's a new app, even better, not even better than Audacity, but just as good, is called Anchor FM. So if you want to have a podcast and you want to publish what you're doing, you can just sign up for Anchor FM. Uh, You can sign up with one-click installation with a Gmail account. And basically, you talk and it'll instantly post your audio as a podcast. And what I recommend teachers and even researchers do is they just start talking about what they're doing. And that could be just five minutes, three to five minutes. You know, um, everybody has room for two to three minutes of audio. You're waiting for the train, you're stuck in traffic, you're in between classes. So you can give small audio bits. And, you know, audio is just so much warmer than text. And, you know, and, what, and what would you suggest that teachers say? in these bits whatever's on your mind i mean whatever's on your mind so like for example if i'm doing um a grammar point sometimes let's say it's you can take any grammar point but i'll do an easy one like irregular past tense verbs i'll do a little one minute audio segment where i use i just talk for one minute and i use 10 verbs and i'll count literally just count one two three as i'm narrating the story just off the top of my head and then that'll be the homework i'm like okay listen to the audio And then in your notebook, write down the 10 verbs that I said, and then bring them to class. And so it took me one minute to make, and it took the students Mm. just a few minutes to do, Mm. but it can be really powerful rather than read this long paragraph about, you know, the the past tense verbs and what they are and fill out this chart and this table type of thing. I like your voice cadence when it comes to things that you don't agree with. How about you just... Write this down and do this thing. It's like, yeah. well, no, no, no. I, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm, I'm. This is how. This is the salesman in you. You know, yes. do this thing, not this thing. Well, and also, actually, I, and I would like to counter a little bit and to say it's also just the academic purist in me, like the teacher in me, because we do a lot of things. Let's say fill out that chart. We do a lot of things because that's the way it's always been done. But people don't realize the reason it was done that way was because of technological limitations. There was really no other way to do it. You know, you didn't have an audio player. You didn't have access to audio. You had a room of 40 students and you had to keep them busy. And like, what can I do to make students do busy work for one hour? Oh, I know. Let's have them fill out a chart with all the, you know, irregular past tense verbs. So a lot of what we do, you know, textbooks included, even academic journals, um, a lot of it's based on technological limitations that we had 100 years ago. uh, And those limitations are gone. A lot of them are gone. And so we can start thinking of new ways to do things. Well, technological limitations, of course, 
but also you know the motivation of the teacher i mean we've all had great teachers in the past we've all had below average teachers in the past who are doing it to earn a paycheck and, and what we really appreciate are you know people like yourself who who put in that extra to assist students to 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 do better even in topics that uh, just to give some context in in japanese universities language courses are required they're not ones that are often necessary for uh, the student's actual focus of their study. So having a, a teacher in language, in mathematics, in even physical education, which is something that they have to do in their first year, having a teacher who is motivated, I think, really helps students get through these kind of courses. So we, we've started with the ABCs. We did audio. What's B? Uh, B is, well, I always recommend Blogger. Um, so there's two, Blogger, Box, and Bitly are all free and all powerful in their own ways. So uh, Blogger, you can just have a web presence in about two minutes, three minutes. You can have your own dedicated website just for you. And you can post anything and it's so easy to use. So if you want to have a class web page that you can even bookmark on your phone, it's very easy to just bookmark it to the home screen. Uh, then it's just one tap, you know, one tap, two, two taps, and they can access the, the content. I like to call it frictionless access, which means they can get it with ease, no login, no password. You know, every teacher's had that nightmare of the students not remembering their password. What's my password? Um, you know, you're like, how do I know what your password is? Uh, so Blogger, just to post. And also, you know, Blogger is highly functional because if a teacher or an educator researcher, if they want to have multiple venues they can they could have one blog page just for their class they can have one blog page for their academic research thoughts they can have one blog page for their personal travels um, or what i highly recommend is you can use it to keep track of your academic presentations so when you go and you present at a conference uh, you know, people want your slides. You see people walking up to the screen with their smartphone and they're taking pictures of your of your screen. You know, you can start it off by saying, hey, folks, here is the address to the website. You can sit back and relax. It's all there, all the notes, all my research papers, whatever. So Blogger is really functional. And also another really good thing about Blogger is you can have, you know, like I said, you can have multiple uh, sites under one email address. Mm. Although I do recommend you create your separate gmail account from your personal gmail account hmm. so you have your professional gmail account or your you know your school gmail address and then your your personal yeah you and then do you want to talk about the other ones box and bitly i do okay so box is the hidden gem of shared uh hosting so everybody knows drive and everybody probably knows OneDrive, maybe icloud for the mac and dropbox of course but off in the corner is Box. And Box is actually used by the big corporations. And one of the thing about Box is when you go to their website, a little secret is they have a free plan for individuals. You have to click one little tab over and they have a free, um, a free option. And it works just like you know Dropbox or Drive. You can store audio, video, any type of text document. But what's really cool about Box is it has a widget and it's even in the free plan. So if let's say you want to share a folder you can embed that iframe widget on a, like a Moodle page or on a blogger page or a teachable page or whatever. And it actually has a window. It looks like an open window and they could actually scroll within the screen to see what all the files are and even download them. So if you have packets of information, rather than have like a zip file they have to download, you can actually just use the widget in box. What kind of and capacity does it have? I think it's, gosh, it's, it's in the gigabytes. It's like 10 gigabytes or five gigabytes. Um, also, OneDrive is the same. Mm. Uh, one thing that people might not know about Microsoft is you do not need to have a paid Microsoft account to use PowerPoint, Excel, and Word online. You can use it for free online and using OneDrive. And OneDrive, to compete with Drive, Google Drive, they have a free account and you just got to sign up. And I think both of them, you get 10 gigabytes if, if that memory serves. Hmm. And they all have their own little benefits. It's kind of like rock, paper, scissors um, with Dropbox, Drive, OneDrive, and Box. So what I recommend about Box is if you're going to do like for your, maybe your academic research, or if you're going to do it for like your school, just sharing files with students, 
box is a really good option because you can separate your personal stuff, you know, your baby pictures, things like that, your personal stuff. You can have just one little account for, um, for professional use. You mentioned talking about students, uh, people who come to your presentations wanting all the notes. How many of your uh, notes are things that you want everyone to see? Are you sharing all of your presentations online? Are there things that students want to see in your lessons that you that you keep back? Are you someone who shares everything or are you someone who wants to keep things back from time to time? Uh, I, I'm pretty open. I pretty much, you know, put it all out there. I think, um, you know, it's like spoiled food, right? You don't want it to go to waste. Um, so uh, I guess you wouldn't have spoiled food, but that's a bad analogy. But it's like food you don't want to spoil, I should say, um, or go to waste. So I share everything uh, that I that I can. Of course, not, I'm actually on my website. I can't. I had to stop sharing all the audio and video because the certain people were, you know, streaming my video and audio in their apps, and I had to pay for the bandwidth. So it's a case by case. But if you're going to like a presentation, you're only going to have, you know, maybe. 20, 30 people download the, the file. So yeah, give everything. And for students, it's great. And actually one more thing uh, for with the bees is Bitly on a similar note. So Bitly, if you have a lot of links, Bitly is one of those crazy tools that you never thought about using. And then once you use it, you'll never give it up. So it's a link aggregator and people have probably seen it before. And what it, people know it for is taking a really long link. For example, if you share a Google document and that makes it very short, which makes it very easy to identify. But what's great about Bitly is it organizes all of your links and you can put tags. So that means if you are teaching a lesson or you wanna organize your research or whatever, you can search and aggregate links by tags and it is so helpful. It's, uh, and you can have multiple tags. Like for example, you have class A and then class B both use video C. So you would just tag the link class A, class B, video C. So then if you want to find it uh, just for class A, it's gonna show up. If you wanna find it just for, for video C, it's gonna show up. So I love it for that. And even more so, the great thing about Bitly is it gives you analytics. So this is kind of creepy. There's a creepy version and a nice version. The creepy version is, is you can actually see if the students are clicking on the links, right? So if you share the link, you can find out when they clicked on the link how many times the link was opened. And I think that's important for, for teachers or anybody who's posting online to find out what is being consumed. And this can be very useful. Like let's say you have four videos or four different activities and you want to do a little research. And rather than ask them like, which, which one did you like? And students are notoriously inaccurate with how they really feel when they do surveys. You can use Bitly to get analytics. So you can find out, okay, everybody clicked on this activity. This activity got a lot of hits. This one didn't. So it's very, very useful that way. Yeah, analytics. Uh, based on your background in online, in the online space, you know, online teaching, online materials, how do you feel about the availability of knowing when and where your students are accessing certain materials. It's uh, something that I've had to deal with, particularly during the recent situation being online and teaching, but also using, as you had recommended in the past, OneDrive shared documents, but knowing to the minute when a student accessed this and when they did this particular activity, and then having to remind them, I gave you a week to do this, but you did this during your lunch hour. How, how, do, you, how do you feel about that? I think it's great. I, I, you know, um, I know there's, I understand the other side, the anti-analytic side, but, you know, like anything, um, you know, you, the extra information should only be used for good. And I think you just have to trust people. Um, yeah, I, I don't, it doesn't bother me at all. I think, you know, of course, if you don't want to use it in the wrong sense, but just finding out when somebody opened, like a lot of it's anonymous. I don't know who opened it, but I know that somebody opened it. Now with Google Docs or with a shared document in OneDrive, you know exactly who did it and when. I mean, you can definitely play detective. 
But with Bitly, it's not, that's not really the case, but it might help that it's like, oh, you know, I'm getting a lot of traction in a certain country. Like uh, this happened to me just uh, the last couple of days. So I have a, an email sign up for a free course on my website. And then suddenly I've been getting hundreds of, of signups every day from Myanmar. And that's not happened before. And I was like, wow, like that's a lot. So somebody must have posted my free courses in that country. But then that's that's analytics I can I can use for good. Like now I know, okay, well, maybe I should have a welcoming page in their language that explains, you know, some learning tips or something like that. So, you know, like like anything, it's there's two sides to every story, right? Absolutely. So let's get to C. What's C okay. for you? Uh, see, well, the first one is well, we we're just talking about this the other day in a in a teacher group, Canva. Canva is definitely the new cool kid. It is, it's going to destroy uh, Photoshop because what Canva did, Canva is basically become the iPhone of print production. So the iPhone came along and it put everything in, in one little thing. Like you put your music player, your phone, whatever, you know, your internet browser. Well, Canva's come along and they've said, well, okay, not only are we going to make it a free uh, page editing tool like Pages, and not only are we going to make it like a, a, an editor like Photoshop, oh, we're going to include the free, the images and the vector art as well, like iStock or whatever. Like it's just a one-stop shop and they have professional designs and you can do anything from doing really cool slide presentations to infographics and how I like to use it as worksheets for, for lessons. And you can create templates and then you can use those templates to make similar lessons. So once you have a template, making a lesson just takes minutes. And you know, I'm really big on the listening. And so we, I create a lot of listening templates where literally you just have to change the images and then just narrate a different story or a, a different outcome. So Canva is super cool. Uh, another awesome tool is Cloud App that, go, that goes under the radar. So if you wanna do a screencast for free, uh, right off your computer, you can use Cloud App and it basically is just a screen casting tool. And it's maybe one of the easiest ones. Loom is another one, but since we're doing the alphabet, you can start with Cloudcast. And I think you get five videos uh, for five minutes for free, five for mm -hmm. five. And uh, so if you wanna do narrate anything, you know, what's on your screen, you can do that. And then you can export the video and then going to Drive. Once you have Drive, you have YouTube and you can upload that video to YouTube and you can share it. Coming off the back of that, I mean, as you said, if you got YouTube, how helpful have the bigger applications been during this time for the last two years when we've often been online, when we have to try to communicate with students, when we have to give grades and things like that, things like YouTube or things like Microsoft, how have they helped or perhaps even hindered our work as language teachers? Um, well, I'm going to sound like a homer, but I'd say it's only helped. And I think it's been, this is the silver lining of, of the COVID restrictions and the changes in education, um, it, it made, it just was a game changer and made people realize that we have all these tools. And for us to really look at the outcome, like what are we really trying to achieve? If we're really trying to educate people, and again, we're doing knowledge transfer, information transfer, skill building, a lot of these tools just make it easier. And, you know, I'd like to clarify, I am not some techno dude that just like, you know, hooks all these wires up to my students and I'm against face-to-face -face learning. I love face-to-face -face learning. I love paper-based activities. I love doing things on the whiteboard, but those things have limitations. And so if you, we were focusing too much on that and then mm. by all these online tools, I mean, YouTube, my goodness, could you imagine doing this without YouTube or Zoom? I mean, I don't, <laughs> I don't think you could, right? During the it, pandemic. It, I don't think it could be done. And, and I just want to follow up on, on what you just said that, we we don't want to come off as people who would prefer to replace the you know the person in the classroom the teacher in the classroom the someone who actually is giving uh feedback and, and giving support to the students in a classroom basis with any of these technological aspects of the modern world we would prefer that they are used to augment the work that we're doing rather than to replace anything that a, a human could do and something else that we've learned during this these last two years you can't replace human to human contact 
uh, even yeah. when it when it when it comes to teaching, when it comes to other aspects of our regular life, we do need to be in spaces with each other, sharing information, whether it's for language learning or for just sharing some ideas or what's been going on that day. It's important that we're that we're together, but there are other things that we can do to make this experience better. That we can uh, we can enhance it by using the online materials that are available to us. So having gone through the ABCs, are there anything else that you'd like to share or anything that you'll... <laughs> oh, I can go all the way to, I can go all the way to Z, but just um, real quick, I think <laughs> we'll, we'll do D, E, F. Okay. Uh, first of all, go. Drive. There's a couple of cool things about Drive that people don't know about. So of course, Drive has Google Slides and Excel, um, uh, not Excel, Google Sheets, excuse me. Uh, but both the docs, Actually, all the docs, slides, and sheets have some amazing features teachers might not know about. First of all, Google Docs will transcribe anything you write. And that is one of the most important things people don't realize. Not only will it transcribe it live, it'll even transcribe if you have an audio file and you just start playing it and you click the record button. Now, to be fair, Microsoft does a better job. The Microsoft a Word recorder actually has an auto punctuate, which is pretty much perfect. So both of those will transcribe what you do, which is a, just a game changer. Um, Google Sheets has a thing called conditional formatting, which I use for a lot of my activities, where if you type in the correct answer in a cell, it changes color and the students absolutely love it. And they will just like go crazy trying to get it to turn green. And it's so easy. You literally <laughs> type in the word, the correct answer in the cell, however you format the sheet, and then changing it so it changes color takes literally two seconds, if that. So that's a, a, a tool. So if you want to have like an automated test for you get student feedback, um, Google Sheets is the way to go. And then another one would be um, uh, Google Slides now has audio and you can import audio. It plays audio. And you can use Google Slides to as an online textbook. So like, let's say you have a paper-based product. You can take a scan of it or a picture of it or whatever. Uh, and then you can put that image as the background on an A4 dimension Google Slide. And so then basically you can type, draw, do whatever you want on a piece of paper in Google Slides. So those three things are kind of, it's amazing. Most teachers don't know about it. But when they find out about it, it really solves like a lot of big problems that they have. As a former intellectual property lawyer, um, I think that might have some quite insane implications. But <laughs> I, 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 I know it's all covered by the exemptions that we have as teachers. So that's... I was talking about the free books on Ello. You can go to Ello and we have free books and you can use them <laughs> in Google Slides all you want. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Actually, I, I will say this, like, I won't say, I guess I can say this without getting in trouble, because I'm not going to mention the book's name. But that actually that function saved me because during the pandemic, when, when we first had to go online, I knew all the students had the book. Right. So they'd all paid for the book. But sometimes there would be one student who left his book at home, he's at his grandma's house or whatever. And so it was very easy to just whip up a, a mock book for him and mm. or her and have them do it online. So um, yeah, there's a there's a little wiggle room there. Uh, no, there, there are educational exemptions, so I'm not wanting to uh, drop either of us in yeah. uh, in the grease for that. So, E. Uh, e would be Evernote. You know, Evernote doesn't get nearly the the love that it deserves. It used to be like a star product. Basically, it's a note taking app. But one thing about Evernote is it's got this thing called the Web Clipper. So if you're a teacher, and actually just even if for, for a researcher, you can go to any web page and you can clip the page and it'll save it directly to Evernote and it'll take just that part of the web page that you want. So let's say you go to a website, like even mine, that's ad enabled, and you just want to have just the main text. And then you want to add your own links for a quiz or a glossary or some bonus information. It'll take what's on that web page, put it on your uh save it to your Evernote account, automatically say where it got where it was from. So it's referenced, so you don't have to worry about where you got it, which is great for research. And then it allows you to annotate it and then change the text, do whatever you want, which is really good if you have to, let's say, level the language down for students, mm. or mm. you want to add links to a quiz or a glossary, or you want to include the glossary on the page. 
Uh, there's just a lot you can do with Evernote. And finally, F. Oh, F is just Google Forms. Google okay. Forms is like the, it's, it's one of the greatest pound for pound educational tools ever made. What I love about Google Forms is it wasn't made to be an educational tool, but once teachers start using it, it's like, you can't live without it. Like if somebody said, there's one tool you could, I, I could never take away or they could never take away, I would probably go with Google Forms. I well, mean, look, Zoom now, but like, I it, it, it's so much. Yeah. So uh, could you give us some of the uh, various ways that you use it? Yeah, so the main way is um, I use it for self-grading quizzes. So I use it uh, for live quizzes and self-grading quizzes. And so you can make uh, quizzes where students, they do the multiple choice or the gap fill or whatever, or they write in the right answer, um, and then it scores it. There's another way I use it as what I call a problem projector. So I have the students, they have a prompt, they have to write something, and then I can see everything in real time in the Google Sheets. I can share in real time everybody's answers. Uh, it's great for writing because then I can say, okay, what's wrong with this, with this, especially if you're doing a Zoom lesson and the students can type in the chat box, oh, there's no period, there's no comma. So the students can give feedback on other people's work. Hmm. Um, and also what I really recommend for like maybe your audience, please, please do this. The one takeaway, when you do an academic presentation, close it with a Google form, not your email. <laughs> that is so much better and you'll get way better results. So at the end, put up a QR code and be like, so put up a QR code and be like, okay, I really appreciate this. I would love it if you can just take one minute to give me your feedback. And also if you would like to leave your email, <clears throat> I would love to contact you. Uh, or if you would like to get in, in contact with me and you always have people sign up. And so it's a really nice way to collect you know, information, messages from people around the world. And you can put it on a student site. You can do it on your academic research site. You can do it for presentations. So these days with spam and this and that, it's not the best idea to give out your email. What you can do is create a Google form and then they have the option of putting in their email. They don't, you know, because if they, if you, if they write to you directly, they're going to have to use their email. So they could right. write you anonymously. You could also in the form put things like, you know, what is your position, administrator, teacher, student? Um, you know, how did you find my presentation? Great, wonderful, terrible, whatever. Um, would you like to collaborate in the future? So you can put other prompts in there. And then of course the message box. And usually when you do a presentation and you put it up there, you get nothing but glowing, you know, flowing praise from people. And one thing that's really important is when you go and you do a presentation, you always have to remember there's a lot of shy people that don't want to raise their hand. Or you might get that one person that monopolizes your time after your presentation, right? They come up and they talk, talk, talk. And that person's like, ah, oh, forget it. I can't talk to them. I have to go to the next presentation, whatever. So if you, have, if you share a Google form uh, after any presentation uh, and ask people to please fill it out and leave a message, that's a great way to network. By the way, glowing praise at the end of a presentation. You've absolutely never been to any one of my presentations. So. Oh, I've... I've I was actually upset because you didn't have the Google form, Chris, and I couldn't give you the glowing praise. So, yeah. Uh, going forward, uh, my final question to you today is, is there anything that you have come across recently that you would like to use more or you or are you kind of happy with your curated uh, group of uh, apps that you've been using so far? Oh, gosh. I, well, you know, Bitly, I have to admit, is probably the latest one uh, that I've really adopted. Um, also, just using audio-based content on, uh, you know, like PowerPoint and Google Slides. Um, and I got to say, I was doing ABCD, but I have to do, I have to throw some love out there for Microsoft. To be honest, Microsoft's better these days. So you can get a free... But my, 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 my Microsoft, Microsoft better than... Better than Google, I think. Better than uh, the Alphabet products. Yeah, I think yeah. like if you want to have a free account to use with your students, well, actually, I shouldn't say that. Um, no way, let me take that back. There's some things that Microsoft does that's better. So in terms of slides, PowerPoint is still better than Google Slides. Google Slides knows this. They're trying to catch up. But you can play audio in um, the edit mode in Google, I'm sorry, um, PowerPoint, Microsoft Office PowerPoint. And you can create a free open Office account 
And then once you create any PowerPoint, <clears throat> the audio will actually play inside the, uh, the PowerPoint. Not only will it play, it will download. When it downloads, the audio will still play on the PowerPoint. So they've got that going. But then Google's got, they've got the blogger and they've got all the other stuff. There's just so many tools, man. They never stop. They just never stop, Chris. I don't, I, you know. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you hit it here first. I never thought it would happen in my lifetime, but Microsoft has actually become better at other companies at producing software. They do. They do. Can, can, I, can I finish with just a two minute? Of course, of course. Two minute praise. Okay. So here's the thing I wanted to say. This is like giving your research life. So if you're doing research, here's my quick tips. First of all, start talking about it every day. Or every time you're doing research, if you have time, do a one minute, two minute narration, do a quick audio. You can do it on Audacity or on your phone. Upload that to Anchor FM, create a blogger account, start posting what you're doing. You can use Google Drive, uh, Google Docs to transcribe it for you. Kind of make it nice and fancy with something from Canva. Get it out there. Give your research life. You can put your links to your research in box. With those links, make sure you use Bitly so you, so you can see where people are coming from around the world. Uh, and every now and then I would even use something like uh, Loom or a cloud app to do a screencast and just talk about a paragraph, a small bit of what you're doing uh, and then post that video and you will get more people interested in what you're doing and you can build your network. How's that? Two minute pitch. Literally, there's nothing more I could ask <laughs> uh, to end this, uh, end this interview. As we have in the past, I could speak to you for hours, Todd. Thank you very much for your time today. We've been speaking to Todd Bukins uh, about uh, his work on meals.org, but also about the applications that you can use to improve your language teaching. And as his final pitch suggests, even improve your research. <clears throat> Thank you for having me, Chris. It's always nice to be a part of the show. Thank you very much for your time today, Todd. Thank you, Chris. It's always a pleasure to be on the show. And tell Jonathan I said hi. I will. If you'd like to contact the show, the best place to find out about us is our website, lostincitations.com. Here you can learn more about the background to this project and how you can get involved. Our hope is to help academics, educators, and online content producers get in contact with each other. Our email address is lostincitations at gmail.com. We also have Facebook and LinkedIn pages. Please rate and comment on the sites you use to download your podcasts. It helps us reach more potential listeners. But probably the most helpful thing you can do is, if you like our content, recommend it to a friend and let them know what we're trying to do. Thank you very much.